It's Tuesday, January 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Happy Tuesday, guys. Happy Tuesday. Long, long weekend. weekend. It was yeah. a long weekend, uh, and it's finally starting to feel like winter here in the greater Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. area. I was down in Georgia this past weekend playing golf with my dad. Short sleeves. It was 70 and sunny. That was a, I mean, it was just like I stepped into another universe. Yeah. I was in New York. My face is windburned and cold. <laughs> oh, I thought it was – okay. I thought that might have been a suntan. Never mind. We're going to talk insurance. Uh, we're going to talk financials. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway is in the news. But we're going to start with Verizon. Verizon's fourth quarter featured a record 2.1 million additional subscribers, a record 9.8 million smartphones activated, and yet – Somehow the company managed to end up with a loss of nearly $2 billion for the quarter. What in the heck happened, Jason? Well, when you have a $35 billion liability and pension and other post-retirement benefits on your balance sheet, this stuff tends to happen. But I think that's you know all, all seriousness here. That's the reason why the stock isn't moving more or less because this is not something that snuck up. I mean, there there are very plain uh, upfront liabilities on the balance sheet that they have to deal with in, in in you know some capacity. It takes some time to deal with these things, but you know in the grand scheme of things, you're still dealing with one of the the top two biggest players in telecommunications, not only in our in our country but really in the world. Uh, a lot of a lot of phenomenal products there in the wireless segment alone. Not to mention the wireline and their uh, Verizon FiOS, which it doesn't really look like we can expect too much uh, too much growth in the FiOS uh, department is what I'm what I'm discovering here, Chris. But you know, all in all, not a bad quarter at all. Uh, we'll get back to FiOS in a second. But Joe, what do you make of Verizon's quarter? What stands out to you? I want to nerd out about pensions for a minute. <laughs> sure, I think this is going to be one of the the big stories of this quarter. It totally so AT and T reported last week, and they just got slammed because of changes in their pension accounting. And so what's happening there, right, is that these companies basically have these long-term liabilities, and they have assets that they've set aside to help pay that off. And they have to sometimes add a lot more cash to those assets. And the trick is you're trying to match you know, your long-term value of your, your assets to your liabilities. Unfortunately, that's really complicated because you're making all sorts of assumptions about what those assets are going to grow at, You know, what are your expected <laughs> returns, how long... Are how many employees you're going to have on the plan? How long are they going to live? What is inflation going to be like? So it's very difficult. The problem is these companies have been using expected returns that are way above what is realistic for a long time. And so when you dial back the expected return number, a few years ago, some of these numbers were as high as like 10%, which is totally ridiculous. But when you dial it back even just like a half percentage point, that makes a massive difference in terms of your total liability. So what happens is your liability side goes up and you take a gap hit on that. But ultimately, you're going to have to shore up your your pension funding somehow, some way. And I think that um, for all the companies with defined benefit plans, that's really going to be an anchor around them this quarter. Yeah, Jason, uh, to that point, I mentioned the uh, the 9.8 million smartphones activated for Verizon. Last quarter for AT&T, it was 10 million. So when I hear, you know, I appreciate the, the – first of all, I appreciate the preface, Joe, that we were going to be nerding out on pensions. But, I mean, yep. when I hear stuff like that, because as an, an average investor, I don't really think about stuff like that. So when I hear something like that, that makes me want to just – get as far away from these two stocks, and you can throw in Sprint as well uh, as possible. How? I guess my question is, how big a challenge 
is this for these companies, and how much like if they're having these the pension? Well, the pension. Uh, if you know, if they're having these record quarters, and in the case of Verizon, for two of their metrics, it was a record quarter. But if they're still getting whacked because of the pensions, that makes it sound like you know a, just a beast that they can't kill. Yeah, well, the pension is the biggest problem for kind of your old economy businesses. There are very few companies, I don't know of any, that have been started in recent memory that have defined benefit plans. They're all now on, you know, 401ks, essentially. Um, You know, GM is exposed to this. I think they're probably going to take a nasty hit on that, judging by what we're seeing other people do this quarter. Um, You know, you look at an AT&T, they're a very old business with a lot of those legacy uh, obligations. I mean, ultimately... It's difficult for these companies to manage, but I think the bigger issue when you look at these companies, you should be focusing on the actual operations. Yeah, I think Joe made a – he mentioned a very good word there in legacy because I think the many of the businesses going forward that, that we look at don't have to deal with these types of, of obligations because we've come to the realization that they do weigh businesses down for long periods of time. I think the automakers are just perfect examples of this. So, I mean, on the one hand, you have a company like Verizon, which is a veritable cash cow and that they are supplying more or less something we cannot deal without. Uh, but on the other hand, there is this sort of fear there that at some point this type of service essentially is just becoming commoditized and that you don't really care where you get your data plan from. You just want your data plan. So you go buy an iPhone, for example, and you want AT&T or Verizon. Well, how do you make that decision? There's not a whole heck of a lot out there that really makes one shine tremendously over another. And for every reason you might get Verizon, you could probably come up with you know just another reason to buy AT&T as well. Uh, but I, I think that you're you're going to see companies like AT&T and Verizon continue to really push and focus on on building out this wireless infrastructure. And that's one of the reasons why we're not seeing any expansion in FiOS, and they're really kind of winding that down. So for all you folks out there looking for FiOS coming to your neighborhood soon, I wouldn't be holding my breath there. Uh, they're going to be investing a lot of money into this wireless going forward, and that's where all the cash is being generated. They'll try to manage, manage these legacy obligations. Uh, but, but again, you know, I mean, that's why the market isn't freaking out over this, because it's not hidden. It's right there in front of you. All you have to do is look for it. Uh, we know this is going to be something they're going to have to deal with for, for a number of years to come. TD Ameritrade's first quarter results are in revenue, earnings, and profit all down for the quarter, and yet, Joe, shares up more than stock is up <laughs> more than three percent this morning. What's going on? Oh, beauty of low expectations. Um, <laughs> you know, with TD Ameritrade, this is a name that I've recommended a couple times at Inside Value. It's a great little business. Uh, it's not very little, actually, but they've done a wonderful job of gathering new assets. And I think the big story, two big stories with this quarter, were that they brought on a lot of new assets from clients. So a lot of people joined TD Ameritrade, and they brought a lot of money with them. That's great. The second thing, and this is a little more, you know, I know we've been nerding, <laughs> nerding out a lot here. We'll do it some more. So they've restructured the deal that they have with TD Bank. So TD Bank owns a large block of TD Ameritrade, and they're separate companies. And TD Ameritrade has a sweep agreement with their money market funds that basically means that the more money market assets TD Ameritrade has, the better. They take a toll on the amount of money that's there um, in partnership with TD Bank. But they've restructured the deal in a way that when ultimately when interest rates are higher, it's better for TD Ameritrade because they make a higher toll on that. But they've restructured the deal to where TD Bank is going to capture more of the upside when interest rates come back in exchange for giving TD Ameritrade a bigger slice of the pie with with interest rates being low. The market actually likes that. Ironically, I don't. 
because I think that interest rates will eventually come back. And part of the appeal for me of the TD thesis, TD Ameritrade thesis, was an eventual recovery in rates. But all told, it was a pretty strong quarter, and I'm pretty happy with the business. Um, but on the interest rates, we've talked about this before, the, the whole notion of free money forever. I mean, when you say interest rates are going to go back up, and I don't believe they'll stay low forever, but it certainly seems like for the next year or two, they're going to remain really low. So I, I agree. I agree. But what I like what I like about the interest rate thesis is anytime I can buy a stock and I get free call options on something the market price assigns no value to, I'm all for that. So when you look at TD Ameritrade, this is a business where they will benefit substantially when rates eventually rise, and, and they will at some point. But the stock is valued as though interest rates will essentially never come back. And anytime you can buy a good business that has substantial upside on an event that, you know, I don't know when rates are going to come back, but they will. And when they do, TD is going to benefit in a big way. And, you know, that's a nice little asymmetric outcome for yeah, me. Joe is keying in on something here that is really important, I think, for all uh, all foolish investors out there. Remember, something we harp on all the time here is our biggest advantage is just individual investors. It's time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not sitting there timing when interest rates may come up. Who cares when they do? I mean, we know they will at some point. Uh, and so jumping in there and just holding some of the stock means you'll, you'll have a ticket to be on that ride. And, and that's just you can't really you can't really put a price, I think, on, on the advantage advantage of time there. It's something worth remembering. Uh, Another company dealing with the ripple effect of low interest rates um, is Travelers. Uh, The Dow is on pace for its best January since 1997, and Travelers Insurance is helping in that regard today. Uh, Fourth quarter profits were cut in half due to Hurricane Sandy, but earnings still beat expectations. Shares up more than 2% this morning. Joe, what do you think? I love this podcast so far. It's so it's so in the weeds, and we're talking about actual uh, business stuff. I'm really digging this. So, As opposed to non-business as, stuff. As, as our listeners just week. drive off the road, yeah. nodding off to sleep. Well, we'll talk about the iPhone 5S in short order, I'm sure. Um, so with this quarter, with Travelers, the Sandy results were kind of surprising because from the initial impressions that we'd gotten from insurance companies, it didn't sound like Sandy was going to be as huge a catastrophe, <laughs> catastrophe for them financially, okay. as we might have thought. So this was kind of surprising how hard they got hit. But the really heartening stuff in the release that affects all insurance companies in a good way was that travelers pushed through high single-digit, low-double-digit um, price increases across all their lines of business. And that is great news for insurance companies. Uh, obviously, anytime so wait, you can you, raise prices is a good thing. You think that's automatically a bellwether for other insurance companies? I wouldn't say automatically, but Travelers is a huge insurance company. And to see them do that across all their lines is definitely great for all the other players out there. Uh, they said in the call that, or in their release, you know, the reason that they're being more disciplined about prices is because interest rates are low. And, you know, traditionally, the way insurance companies make money, right, is they'll write a policy, they get premiums in, they invest it, and eventually they pay back claims. And they make their money on the investment, uh, the float. But with interest rates so low, they can't really afford to do that anymore. So they're having to be more disciplined about the policy writing. That's great news for insurance companies all around. So I think that's why you know your Aons, your endurance holdings are up today and definitely looks like a nice 2013 starting to shape up for them. Uh, Jason, Travelers is a company that you are intimately acquainted with. I used to work underneath the big umbrella, the big red <laughs> umbrella, Chris. I did, yeah. I actually moved up here uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, where I worked for Travelers for 
um, a bit more than a year before getting this job. And I mean, I, I, I thought that, I mean, I still think that this is a very well-managed company. I think uh, Joe made a good point about their their discipline and pricing, and I think the numbers are there to prove that out. You know, I, I wrote an article last year, actually, about Travelers. Now, I think it's a good stock for, for your IRA, because I think it's a company that's well-managed with, with more of a long-term vision. And when we look at something, uh, insurance companies, a metric to pay attention to is the combined ratio. Which, in simplest terms, just tells us what they're taking in versus what they're paying out. You like to see that number under 100%. And while for this this past quarter, I know the the Sandy losses uh, brought a, a combined ratio of about 105% for the year. Their actual combined ratio was was 97%. And and they have a, a good long history of keeping that combined ratio. Under 100%. I mean, other than 2011, you really got to go back to 2005 uh, to when they last reported a, a combined ratio over 100%. So it's it's a company that's managed very well, uh, a strong brand in the insurance business, I think, and one that definitely will, I think, continue to do well for years to come. Joe, you still like the stock? Travelers? Yeah. Well, it's probably not. We have a lot of insurance companies that I view. Travelers isn't among them. Uh, some of my favorite names in insurance are AIG. Uh, it's one of my biggest personal holdings, and it's one of our bigger wrecks at Inside Value. Uh, it's just dirt cheap. And anytime you see you know aggregate-wide pricing power starting to shape up, I think that's certainly a good sign for them, and especially when you're looking at business selling a 40% discount to book. Uh, something new has been announced for this year's Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Um, for all the people who go to the annual meeting, Joe, you've been before and mm. have uh, just ingest, a ingested a lot of Seas Candy and, and Dairy Queen oh, products. Oh, man. Um, so good. Well, now you can work that off in the brand new Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting 5K race. Um, I did not realize that Brooks Running uh, is a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, Brooks Running announced plans for the 5K race uh, May 5th, so circle the date on your calendar. Warren Buffett will not be participating in the race per se. He will be firing the, sh- the starting gun. He'll be handing out trophies to the winners, that sort of thing. Um, but he, it has not stopped him from coming out and encouraging publicly all of the managers from the 80-plus subsidiaries at Berkshire Hathaway to participate in the race. What do you think of this, Joe? You're a, you're a former runner. You you ran back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I let's be clear. If and I'm not a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder, but if I were, I don't want Warren Buffett running in this or right. uh, any other exactly. race Norm- at his age. Yeah, normally I want CEOs to to show, not tell. In this case, <laughs> I'm fine with him just firing the gun and letting the other guys go for a jog. What do you think about though? I mean, if you're one of the 80 plus managers out there that has to respond to this challenge. I mean, that is not a challenge I think that you even entertain turning down. You more or less have to at least Yeah, I don't think you. you have a choice. No, I I mean Granted, I'm sure he's saying this is not a requirement. It's not a quote-unquote requirement. I think everybody is going to go out there and at least give it a shot. I would bet a lot of them don't even come to the meeting, which might sound surprising, but the business is so decentralized that a lot of those guys probably just don't see a lot of value in coming. They're probably not going to spend any time, meaningful time with Warren. So It's a distinct possibility. Um, I bet you one fool that will be out there, John Jacobus, right? Yes. That guy, I have to believe he will be out there. He's a... Uh, a guy that we follow on Twitter, Supply Sider, but yeah, I imagine he saw this news and just really took to it immediately. Yeah. I, I, I bet like the sun coming up, he will be in this race. Have you now? Have you been to the annual meeting before? I have. I, I, I did. I went with Joe last year, and we went to the meeting, which was just an awesome experience. Uh, went to the Markel brunch the next day. Yep. Really cool. Just a lot of fun. And uh, you know, I hope hope to be able to go again. It was just a, a great time. 
Uh, but you guys, when you've been in the past, you're there for the meeting, the the Q and A session that Buffett and Munger do, and you mentioned Mark. I mean, you guys are yes, you're ingesting a lot of seas candy, but you're also working while you're there. Is this the sort of thing that you would look at and go, sure, why not? I'll do that if only for the uh, you know for the for the T-shirt, or, or are you just like, no, I'm just gonna. Get the the Berkshire meeting is already the most exhausting couple of days <laughs> yeah. in my work calendar, and they go. I'd be a little bit more uh, apt to jump on the golf course if they had like a a 9 or 18 hole event, but I'm not a runner, so I'm going to politely decline this Uh, one. uh, Before we wrap up, uh, Joe, I'll just hit you with this. Google reports earnings after the market closes today. Obviously, we're taping before that. Uh, What is one thing you're going to be looking at in Google's earnings this quarter? Uh, Cost per click and total clicks. I think you're going to see total clips rise, and you're going to see cost per click shrink. Uh, that's because they're getting more mobile clicks and they're lower value. So the real story will just be by what magnitude, and we'll see how that shakes out. All right. Joe Mager, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.